The dead are always with us. We see them in the spaces. The empty chair at dinner. The house on our street no longer filled with light. The cold space in bed. The hand no longer held. Nothing can fill the gap except for that person. The one we have loved and lost. If they could come back. And I said to her, look, I don't quite know what happened. And it was all a bit weird when she just left. And the psychic said to me, well, why don't we ask her? Why don't we ask her why she left? Some people were talking about poltergeist activity witnessed in front of nine people at funerals and wakes, people that were medical doctors and psychiatric nurses. And so they'd been around death a hell of a lot, and then they had these experiences that made them think, whoa. If you want to put something specific on it, it was almost like mum was trying to get my attention. <laughs> but the more I think about it, the more crazy that sounds. Do ghosts exist? If not, why do we see them? This is haunted. Each episode will explore real people's ghost stories. Not just what happened, but why. The only way I can describe it is if you've watched the film Ghost, and when Patrick Swayze's going up and you see that light, that's what it's like. That's the only way I can describe it. And I thought, wow, that's him. It has to be him. Episode 4. Death is not the end. I'm Danny Robbins, and in this episode, I'll be talking to people who believe they're haunted by someone they love. We'll hear about poltergeist activity at a funeral, a strange message at the moment of death, and meet a woman who tried to solve the mystery of her best friend's fatal accident by talking to her ghost. A heads up, it's going to get emotional. Um, is your phone off? It is. It's okay, off. Right. I've got my watch off. <laughs> We've got everything off. This is Neil, a friend of mine. When he heard I was looking for ghost stories, he sent me a Facebook message saying he'd had an experience he wanted to share. He didn't use the word ghost because that felt weird. He said it was difficult to talk about. His exact words were, I can't believe I'm sending you this. It's November 2013. Neil's mother was in hospital with multiple sclerosis, and he just got home from visiting her. It's about half past ten at night. My wife and I were getting ready to go for bed. And simultaneously, somewhere in the house, there was this almighty crash. And at the same time, my phone was ringing. For a moment, we were in shock because you don't know which one to go for first. So my wife went off to see what had happened and I answered the phone and it was the hospital and it was the ward sister of the intensive care unit to say, uh, Neil, I, I'm sorry to have to tell you this, but I think your mother might be passing away. In fact, she may very well have just passed away. 
And I was in shock from this because of this almighty crash that had happened. I mean, who knows how to respond to that kind of phone call anyway. I went to find my wife to tell her, and in the kitchen, what happened was that uh, a shelf had come off the wall, a shelf that I had put up about three months previously. So like an IKEA metal kitchen shelf with loads of pots and pans on. It was like the shelf had been torn from the wall. Two screws, big screws, had been pulled from the wall and everything was just all over the floor. <laughs> what sticks in my head was just these two big gaping brick holes. But essentially there was just this large crash that happened at exactly the same time as my mum dying. I didn't link the two at the time. It was the next day, my wife actually said, isn't that uncanny that that would happen at the same time? And it was. It felt as if, if you want to put something specific on it, it was almost like mum was trying to get my attention. But the more I think about it, the more crazy that sounds. You said this is pretty much the first time you've told anyone about this. Um, Do you feel a kind of nervousness about saying this out loud, that people will think you're crazy? Yeah, yeah, I feel, yes. But the way, and this was with close family members, you know, I'd be saying, do you know what the weird thing was? There was this big crash in the kitchen and this really heavy shelf just flew off the wall at exactly the same time I got the phone call. And, And you can see people nodding politely. It's not for everyone. My discomfort with it is that, you know, it's very easy to to put a logical scientific view on it, which is if I went out to spot yellow vans, I would spot lots of them if that's what was in my head. Neil is torn between his rational side and the part of him that says, this was weird. This was mum. Mum's musical taste, she had one piece of music that she would talk about all the time. Every week it would come up. I think it's funny that when I was travelling here to see you, I went down the underground to get the tube here, and of course a busker is playing Ave Maria. It makes complete sense that I would walk past a busker playing her favourite piece of music on my way to you to talk about coincidences in the death of my mother. That makes me happy. It makes me also want to break down and cry. Coincidences. They pepper our lives like stars across the night sky. And just as generations of people have tried to impose order on the stars, seeing bears, belts and big dippers, we find it hard to believe coincidences are just the white noise of a random universe. Ave Maria has only sprung up at very specific times. It it, it has sprung up when my dad moved to the town where I live last year. He signed the contract at the solicitors and we're walking through the town and (laughs) there's his trumpet player playing Ave Maria. That felt like her, I don't know. (laughs) So I'm (laughs) cracking up again. Oh, it felt like her endorsing it or letting me know, oh, I can't do this. I can't do it. I can't say it. Uh, these, tears, these tears were of joy. 
it was an uncanny time for a busker to be playing Ave Maria on the trumpet. <laughs> As humans, we crave one thing more than any other. Patterns. Our brains search for them non-stop. Shapes in the clouds. The face of Jesus on a slice of toast. Figures in the shadows. Because, sceptic or believer, buried deep in the primal heart of your subconscious, we desperately want the world to make sense. So we join the dots of the coincidences and they take form. A message. Somebody trying to get through. But is there something more to it? Are those spaces the dead leave behind? Not as empty as we think. I read about a young academic called Dr. Cal Cooper, a psychologist doing research into the paranormal experiences of bereaved people. I met him at the University of Northampton, an hour or so from London. Based on your studies, how common is this? The latest studies have shown between 50 to 60%. The most recent report I got from this gentleman in palliative care, he said around 50 to 90%. Hold on, these are huge numbers. So normally when we think of the amount of people who've seen ghosts, I mean like out of a sample of our friends perhaps, yeah. the amount of people who will own up to having seen a ghost is, is tiny, a handful maybe. Mm -hmm. But you're talking about 60% or even 90% of people mm -hmm. have experienced a loved one coming back to them. Yep, it's extremely common. It's less common to not have these experiences. So they come hand in hand. They're a perfectly natural byproduct of the bereavement process. And as you say, some of that could be that expectation that someone should be there in the home. And maybe that contributes to some of the, the smaller experiences people have. But then when we get through to th full-blown apparitions and movements of objects and multiple witnesses, that's when it becomes more interesting. People find these extremely helpful. Maybe that's why they're so common as well. The, the brain just needs to have these experiences. Whether you actually want to have them or not consciously is besides the point. If you're going to have them, you're going to have them. In most surveys in both the US and the UK, 20 to 30% of people say they've seen a ghost. But if Cal is right, this is a massive underestimate. Every day, all around us, there are people living with ghosts. Cal's agreed to put me in touch with one of the people who took part in his study. Someone who's convinced her husband has made contact after death. Not just once, but regularly. Julie. Her story really stuck with Cal. I think it was the poltergeist at the funeral, but more on that in a minute. There he is, dancing around to Shaking Stevens. You'll see he involves me and his mother, or tries to involve his mother. Julie's a nurse who lives in Bristol in the west of England, and I've got to say up front, she's lovely. She's got a dog who nuzzles at her feet, and the room is full of pictures of her and Steve. She met him on the dance floor of her local nightclub. He asked me to dance, and we got up, and we talked for the entire three hours. Just talked and talked and talked, but he was too shy to ask me out. 
So guess who had to do it? And the rest is history. We were married 29 years and four days. She lost him in 2012 to a brain tumour. When we were told that there was no more options of treatment, we talked about the funeral, we talked about his wishes, his needs, what he wanted. I said to Steve, I said, look, neither of us knows what's going to happen to us when we die. If you do find that there is a thing called you are upstairs and you're able to communicate with us, I said to him, I will look out for you. And he said, yeah, he said, if I can get hold of you, he said, I will. They're packed to communicate from beyond the grave. Sounds like the stuff of a Hollywood movie. And yet for Julie, Steve has kept the deal in the most normal, touching Steve way. The television was his domain. That television, you can turn it on and off with the remote, but I always turn it off on the screen. We'd be going to bed and turn the television off, go upstairs, and then you'd suddenly be up there and you're thinking, hang on a minute, telly's back on. So you go down, turn the telly back off, and then you go back up, and it would be turned on again. And then you'd be coming down the stairs to turn it off, and it would turn off. That happened quite a few times. And my daughter, it happened to her as well. Julie finds evidence everywhere. And yes, many of these things feel like coincidences. But to her, it all adds up. And there are some things that are stranger than others. Eight months after he died, his mother died. It was a joke. As soon as Steve found out that his mum had lung cancer, he said, oh, he said, you're going to try and race me to the creme, aren't you? He said, I'm going to beat you, I think. Oh, this, that's sense of humour was one of the it was the only way you could deal with it after she'd been collected by the undertakers we came home so I came in through the door with my son and daughter and stopped in the living room sniffing it and I thought oh my goodness could smell Steve's aftershave and my mother-in-law's cigarettes and I thought you didn't waste no time and um that lasted for a good two hours. His was Lynx. Lynx Africa. And my son didn't wear it. My son didn't wear it at all. So it was obvious that it was Steve's. It was overpowering. And gradually it did fade, but it was incredibly obvious that they'd been here. Presence. Absence. In grief, the lines become blurred. It's something I asked Cal about. I just wondered if what some of these people are experiencing is not presence, but absence. Mm -hmm. And that the absence is so shocking and yep. profound that it's, just, it's such a different stage in your life that it, you can't help but notice that absence all the time. Absolutely. I'd agree with that when it comes to the home. Because a lot of people, after they suffered a loss, let's say the person's passed in hospital, the first place they're going to go to after is back home, where they know that person lived all their possessions are there, their smells are there as well. And so it's very natural for people to assume their presence is still there. But Cal has been told stories about experiences that go beyond just a collection of coincidences. Cal tells me to ask Julie about an incident that happened at Steve's funeral. This is strange. This was at Steve's wake at the funeral. And Steve's brother was with his partner 
Now, his partner was well known for chatting. Wouldn't let anybody get a word in edgeways. Chap, 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 chap. And Steve used to find her quite, you know, he said, will you shut up, Linda? You know, love her to bits, but she's a chatterbox, like I can be. Andrew put Linda's drink down in the centre of the table and his. Linda's drink slid to the end of the table and then knock over. But the table was dry. The table was not on a slant. Andrew's drink did not slide. It was only Linda's. And it shut her up. (laughs) It was her drink. It wasn't Andrew's drink. It was her drink. And that is the kind of thing that Steve would have done, is to say, will you shut up? They'll say, Julie, you'll never guess what's just happened. And it was Linda's drink that was affected. And I said, that's him. That's him. (laughs) That was his sense of humour. That was him. I've had so many conversations over the years about whether ghosts exist. It's binary. Believers believe, sceptics debunk. Clearly, Julie believes, and if you're a sceptic, you're probably mentally unpicking her story right now. But please, don't. Because the one thing that shines through all of this is how much happiness Steve still brings to her. The idea that he's come back, that he's kept to their pact, is a source of daily joy. It feels so comforting. I don't feel scared. And I don't feel, um, it doesn't frighten me. It just makes me feel that wonderful presence. It makes me think that perhaps we've been asking the wrong question. Not how can ghosts exist, but how can we exist without them? Perhaps we owe our very concept of ghosts to grief. In Britain, The ghost story really becomes a thing after the English Civil War. In the US, the same happens after the American Civil War. People saw the ghosts of soldiers, their fathers, sons and brothers, reenacting phantom battles. In modern times, the two big booms in ghost belief come after the two world wars. The grief and loss of World War I was, was insupportable, as you can imagine for most people. This is Roger Clark. He wrote a great book called A Natural History of Ghosts. And he had some interesting things to say about the link between ghosts and how we deal with death. So many people died in such horrific numbers under such terrible conditions that no one could quite process this information. And people started going back to seance rooms in a way they hadn't done for a decade. So were ghosts a way of coping? Yes, clearly it was comforting. It's interesting that religion couldn't cope with it. You would have thought that they would go to church, they would talk to their vicar or their priest, but it didn't seem to be enough. This was a new kind of warfare. This was industrial destruction. And somehow the old structures of religion that people had grown up with could not support it, could not support their grief. And they had to find other ways of dealing with it. So sometimes we need ghosts. We do. You could say say we do. Whether you believe ghosts are real or the figments of our minds, they come from the cold, dark realm of death to help us understand, to tell us there is hope. Coming up, 
A woman tries to solve the mystery of her friend's death. Because, if the person you miss is still out there, why not try to speak to them? You know, even if you say that it was a whole lot of nonsense and whatever the psychic was saying, you know, she completely made it up. It just seemed to fill that gap because you'll always wonder, otherwise, why would she leave? I mean, what was she trying to do? Neil and Julie seem content in being just receivers of messages. But I wanted to talk to someone who'd gone one step further and actually tried to reply. And then, after a friend shared my post about looking for ghost stories, I heard from Karen. She lives in South Africa, so I got her to tell her story over Skype. It's about the death of her best friend Penny in 1998. So this happened when we were 21, and it was shortly after Penny's 21st birthday. Penny and Karen had just finished university, and Karen was about to go away on a long trip to Zanzibar. The two of them were at the mall, hanging out, when Penny said something odd. She was saying things like, I just don't see a future for myself. And I said to Penny, it's because we've just finished our degree. And I mean, neither of us knows what's really going to happen in the future. And she said, Karen, you don't understand. There's no future. There's no children. There's no career. I don't see anything. There's just nothing in the future. I didn't really know what to do. And so I said, no, well, just don't worry about it. And then that night I was sitting with a friend of mine and I suddenly went, I didn't say goodbye to Penny. And my friend said to me, what do you mean? And I said, no, I, I didn't say goodbye to Penny. The next morning, Karen took her early flight to Zanzibar. When she arrived, she was met at the airport by some friends. I looked at them and I said, what's wrong? And they said, we've got bad news. And they said, Penny passed away last night. Penny had been working at a theatre, volunteering as an usher at a concert performed by her boyfriend's mother. And they said that Penny was in mid-conversation with her boyfriend's mother. And they were busy chatting. And the next minute, Penny just said, I've got to go. And the mom said, well, what do you mean you've got to go? And she said, I've got to go. And she just, she walked out and got in her car. And, you know, subsequent to that, what we found out was that she was heading towards home. And on a blind corner was a street sweeping truck. And she went straight into the back of it and died instantly. Nobody could understand why she'd left because it was just, I mean, it was completely irrational or, I mean, unexplainable. The news hit Karen hard. Penny had always been my rock in life and the one person that I really felt that I could trust and really, really be myself with. So when she left, I kind of had this feeling like, well... No, I also don't want to be here. It was like, if she's gone, then I might as well also go. The years went by. Karen moved on and married, but was never able to shed the nagging feeling of unfinished business. The mystery of why Penny had rushed out of the concert and raced to her death. The sense that her friend had had a premonition of her end. Karen had lost her brother too, and one day... On the spur of the moment, she decided to speak to a psychic to see if she could contact him. But somebody else was trying to get through. She said to me, 
is there anybody else? Because I can sense a, a younger female person. And I said, oh, well, there was my friend Penny, but she died quite a few years ago. And she said to me, well, she's presenting like she's had damage to her face. You know, what happened? And I said, no, she was in this car accident. And it must have been the impact of when she hit the steering wheel. And then I said to her, look, I, you know, I don't know. I don't quite know what happened. And it was all a bit weird when she just left. And the psychic said to me, why don't we ask Penny why she left the concert? And I said, can we do that? And she said, sure, of course. So she asked Penny and Penny said to her that she was standing talking to her boyfriend's mother and she suddenly had this sensation that she hadn't turned off the iron and that potentially that she was going to burn the house down. She didn't think any further. She just went, okay, it's interval. If I drive home, I can kind of make it. Or if I'm a little bit late, it's not a problem. So she got in her car and she drove really quickly. And that's when she had the impact. It's almost tragic, the mundanity of Penny's reply. For Karen to finally make sense of her death, but for it to be so senseless. But perhaps it's in these mundanities that belief lies. Ghosts whose smell of Lynx deodorant, spill the drinks of relatives they didn't like, ruin their son's DIY to get his attention, or return in spirit form to explain they thought they'd left the iron on. The problem for many sceptics is that ghosts seem so far removed from life, so fantastical. But here are ghosts who behave just like the people we lost. Join the coincidences. Make a star map and they take the shape of a person. A person who fills that empty space. I don't feel threatened by asking what if. What if What if there is a way for the energy is transferred between humans on a plane and in a manner and for a purpose that we're not even aware of? What is the harm in asking that question? I then raced back to the hospital and I, I saw her so I'm going to lose it. It's good. <laughs> I'm just letting it out. When, um... Oh, sorry. Hang That's on. Good. Hang on a second. It's blowing my nose. I think of a way of saying this that isn't going to completely crack me up. Her body was uh, ravaged with, uh... with MS. So her hand was like a claw... Her whole body was kind of screwed up in this kind of uh, kind of this angry pose. I got to the uh, the hospital. The rest of my family had already seen her, and I went in to to see her for the last time. And she was completely at ease. It's like this curse had lifted. And the the hands that were all sort of claw-like were just completely unswollen and at rest. And I love the idea that that somehow this this energy would, would leave her. The idea that humans might somehow be able to transfer energy to each other that makes me happy (laughs) when you're lying in the dark alone in a strange room in an old house 
It is comforting to hold on to science, to find sanctuary in physics, and reassure yourself that ghosts probably don't exist. But when you have just lost a person you loved, when you are that kind of alone in the dark, it is comforting to know that they might. Thank you to Neil, Julie and Karen for telling me their stories. I know it wasn't easy. If you've had a ghostly experience, we'd like to hear from you. Send an email to haunted at panoply.fm or find me on Twitter or Facebook. Thank you to everyone who's reviewed or rated the show so far. And if you've enjoyed it, please tell someone you know. Haunted is a Chalk and Blade production for Panoply. It was written and presented by me, Danny Robbins. The producers are Ruth Barnes, Laura Sheeter and Simon Barnard. Music and sound design is by Pascal Wise. Jesse Brown painted our artwork. Special thanks to Tom Bigwood for his help this episode and to Ryan Dilley and Andy Bowers at Panoply. Until next time, sleep well.